This is the podcast Going Beyond Salvation, and this is your host, Jess Robinson. And this is the New Testament portion of the podcast. And right now we are going through the book of Acts. And we did a lot of reading in the book of Acts. We went from chapter 9 to chapter 18. Granted, some of it, you know, we will summarize, but... um, Quite a bit of it uh, has a lot of lessons behind it as we learn as as a believer and even as a church. And so we're just going to jump right in. And just as uh, as I have done in, for housekeeping and the other two podcasts, for those tuning in, uh, yes, this podcast is a little bit later than usual. Right now we're in a contract with a house and so... Just my schedule is a little bit busy because all my days off right now, we're trying to get paperwork done and uh, on top of it, pack our stuff so that when the closing is done, we can start the moving into our new home that we acquired during our vacation time. Um, And so this is an exciting, exciting time, which, you know, with many people from out of state, you know, moving into this area that there is a, this is the time for the Acts Church to rise, uh, for opportunity for the gospel to spread. And so let's just jump right into it. We get into chapter nine is chapter nine is, is the conversion of Saul, you know, most of it, um, you know, Saul who, you know, he, he was a huge persecutor of the church. You know, what we know about Saul is that he was very zealous. He was part of the Pharisees. Um, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, as we'll find out. Um, he's very zealous. He persecuted the church and, you know, Jewish born uh, in Tarsus of Sicilia, or Sicilia, and he was brought up by Gamaliel, who we met, uh, that stood up for the disciples, and essentially, as I heard one person say, that he was essentially ignoring Gamaliel's advice, and so there's this persecution of the church, and Saul, on the way to Damascus, has an encounter with Jesus, because God had a plan Saul, even the this person who had committed, you know, really bad things, God had a plan for him, which just shows that, you know, we think about it and our heart should be that God, no matter what, God's heart is about saving people. And it's up to the people, you know, to, to accept him as Lord and Savior. But his heart is to see them saved, you know, and, you know, like, I, I was researching, you know, I, I kind of like watching, you know, the crime, I grew up in a home where my mom watched Discovery, she watched 48 Hours, and investigative Discovery, so I grew up watching all these things about, you know, investigation Discovery, and it just kind of follows me, but now I just, I kind of want to see what it has happened to some of these people that have been in prison. And one of those was Son of Sam, 
who was called the son of Sam. And this man who was a murderer when he was in prison after committing these murders, somebody came up to him in the prison and said, God has a plan for you. And he's, he was saved. You know, he, he's come to know the Lord and God's working through him. So you think about that and we see with Saul, you know, what his actions after meeting Jesus, it, it, it shows a good example, especially for brand new believers, you know, for anybody, you know, generally who, who have an encounter with Jesus. We see that Saul in, in verse nine, that he was remorseful. You know, one of the true marks of true conversion is remorse, remorse for things that past sins, you know, how they were living. We see that Paul's genuine experience is seen by his immediate response. He chose to not eat or drink anything for three days. You know, for some people, I have seen people that were saved and they went and took alcohol and throw it out. They, they wanted to get rid of it. They took things that they even, you know, Wiccan stuff you know, witchcraft, they were taking it and getting it out of their house. That's a sign of true conversion where they're getting rid of that kind of stuff and saying, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. So he knew what he had done and he was remorseful. We know that he prayed in verse 11 because, you know, when God was speaking to Ananias, a disciple in Damascus, you know, he says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So he's praying. And, you know, we know he had not yet been baptized in water. He was still blind. He had not been filled with the Holy Spirit yet, but God was already speaking to him in visions. And so, and so both Ananias and Saul were directed by visions. Ananias's willingness gave way to momentary questioning of the Lord when he learned God's instructions. His questioning shows that he knew about Saul's threatening reason for coming to Damascus, but he still went. He still went and prayed for him. And afterwards, you know, we see... Saul connected with the body of Christ. He connected with them, even though they were scared with him. And we see um, Barabbas, who is, you know, the encourager, ends up taking him underneath his wing and showing the disciples that he's not the same person he was. And we see that Saul has this new life. And, you know, he goes immediately and starts proclaiming the good news, you know. And... And that's just how we should be, you know, even, you know, even if we're not totally knowledgeable in the Bible, you know, people can't refute your testimony, what Christ has done to you, how he has delivered you, how, what he has done for you. Nobody can refute that testament, testimony. And we see that, that Saul is going out there and as he's preaching now, there's a part in Galatians chapter one that we have 
to put into chapter 9 there. Um, so, you know, at some point, go read Galatians chapter 1 because it's a part of his life that he he went to Arabia to study. And see, Saul, we know he has... Saul is... God's going to use him in many ways because he was Jewish, but he also studied in, in Roman uh, ways, you know. So he had different backgrounds that helped him in this as the church expanded. So he ends up, you know, at some point going to Arabia, and it's to the point his dramatic life change was to the point that his own life was endangered by the enemies of the church. We see the Jews conspire to kill him and so they they end up taking him and at some point he ends up you know to save Saul's life they end up you know the Jerusalem believers take him to Caesarea and then send him home to Tarsus and he, and this is the thing you know, we kind of read Acts and we read it as just one, like almost like almost like a one day thing. But there's a time span that happens in the book of Acts. And we see that Tar or Saul stays in Tarsus for 10 years. And as believers, we can get into a period of waiting. You know, there's a place of ministry and a place of waiting. And so Saul is essentially in a place of waiting. He was probably, while in Tarsus, he was probably studying. He was getting into the scriptures. He was probably, you know, while in Tarsus, he was proclaiming the gospel. But he was in a period of waiting. And as believers, there will be times where we're in a period of waiting. And thinking, God, are you going to use me? And use this as a time to prepare and seek God, be in the word. And so this is a huge thing. And and then because we're going to see Saul's going to come out of that. He's going to come out of that. But we get into the last part of chapter nine and it kind of jumps back to Peter and we're kind of closing out our time with Peter. Um, but we see with Peter, um, you know, he's traveling the country and then he finds a man named Aeneas who's a paralytic and there's this healing and this healing, you know, starts traveling and we meet here, the story of Dorcas, which people are like, why would you want to be named Dorcas? Well, what, if you look up at the name of Dorcas, it actually means gazelle. So this this woman's name meant gazelle. And um, so, or known as Tabitha, and she had become sick. She died. And they sent for Peter, you know. They sent for Peter, um... And so, you know, and there's this raising of the dead of, of Tabitha. And so there's that, but then there's this next step that happens and we get into chapter 10 with Peter. And this is the next step in God's 
vision for, for the gospel being spread. We read about Cornelius. And this was interesting when I took my class in Acts. You read in the Bible, it says Cornelius is centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And we also know, or, and it says he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he, we know he was God-fearing and people go, oh, you know, he just feared God. It's like, no, there's actually a term behind this and I didn't know this. But it's a technical term from the first century that described a Gentile that was attracted to Judaism. Judaism, I mean. And God-fears attended the synagogue but sat in a separate section in the back. And they, they observed the Jewish religious, religious practices, but they did not submit to circumcision. They had become Jews in their hearts, but had not yet completed the conversion physically because the Jews thought he had to be circumcised. They saw that as the physical covenant. Uh, God fears like Cornelius had the, the word of God in their hearts and were ready to become the leaders of the Gentile churches that would soon be founded. We know he was generous and that he prayed regularly. Um, what is happening here with Cornelius and in this, you know, that, you know, like most God fears, Cornelius may have had some knowledge of a promised uh, Messiah, but he didn't know about Jesus. And so Peter and, you know, Peter and them, they had been devout Jews as well. And he has a vision, a, a vision. And this was preparing him for what God wanted him to do. This was showing that salvation was for, for the Gentiles. Um, it, you know, what it was you know, this was the, the theological problem of the early church wrestled with whether a Gentile could be saved without first becoming a Jew. You know, so far, you know, it had mainly been Jews, you know, and some Greeks that had been saved. But they didn't really think a Gentile, they, there was this question about whether a Gentile had to become a Jew first before becoming saved. Now we see with you know, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch that, you know, God, what, what had happened there, but Peter hadn't seen that. And so God prepared Peter for this next step. And we see, you know, this big revival happened. These, these, these Gentiles received the Holy Spirit and it was a sign that the Gentiles had been fully accepted by God into his family. So this wonderful thing happens, but we get to chapter 11 and there's some who were circumcised of, you know, the circumcision believers. They criticized Peter that, you know, he went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them, you know, but we see with Peter how he responds. He didn't respond by defending his authority as an apostle. 
he just simply told of the events prior and what had happened and he persuaded the Jerusalem church with the same evidence that had convinced him. And so we have that and then we have the the church of the Antioch which you know this is a huge game changer it's new methods that end up happening here um you know it just teaches in the church you know we can't we have to be careful to not let rituals and traditions outlive our reason for being you know we have to be careful to adapt and grow so we can reach the world with the gospel as effectively as as possible you know it used to be years ago that evangelists would go from door to door you know preaching the gospel that doesn't work now because generally yeah most people are suspicious of somebody they don't know is at their front door things have to change you know tactics have to change you know being in laramie you know the mormons and the jehovah witnesses would be knocking on my door and they'd always knock on my door on the time that, you know, I'm trying to get ready for work. And it's like, I would love, or, you know, my husband wasn't there. And generally it was men that were at my door. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't let you in. My husband's not here. I don't meet with men by myself, you know, you know, alone in my own house. And so, you know, it always happened. And so those churches haven't figured out that things have to change as well so you know Antioch had a change you know you know there's this major shift in the church you know traveling evangelists adopted a new method that would have a profound impact on the mission and the effectiveness of the church they spoke to the Greeks in their own language you know, up to that point, all the preaching had been in Hebrew or Aramaic. So there's this Greek. And it's essentially saying it doesn't matter that you are not a Jew. We will speak your own language to you. So they started reaching to these people. And, and sometimes we think the gospel can be only communicated one way or to certain kinds of people. And we'll see that Paul adapts later on to a different type of people, sharing the gospel differently. And, you know, usually, you know, that is the way that which we feel the greatest comfort. However, we have to speak, sometimes speaking someone's language goes beyond words. You know, people appreciate different styles and communicate uniquely through music, nonverbal expressions, art, and traditions and customs. So, we see that there's this change, a different shift of reaching to, this, to the people of Antioch. You know, the first messengers... You know, they were unsuccessful in reaching the Greeks because they didn't have an adequate knowledge of the, you know, because they, you know, it wasn't that they didn't have adequate knowledge of the Lord or because they didn't have the, you know, they, they didn't understand that. It was because they didn't have an adequate methodology and motivation to reach them. 
you know, the, the second group, they came from Cyprus and Cyrene. And not only knew they, not only did they know the Lord, but they also knew, knew how to speak of him to the Gentiles in their own language. They went beyond the cultural boundaries. And because of that, this church begins to form. And then there's new leaders that come. We have Barnabas, you know, he sees what happens. And this is when Saul goes from, you know, a time of waiting to a time of ministry. He brings Saul in to, you know, we see that Barnabas was an encourager. You know, Saul was about teaching. And so he brings Saul in. So we had new leaders and then a new mission comes along. You know, there's this prediction of a famine. And so there's a new mission. They start raising money. And that's just something that happens. Just shows that as a church, and we see, you know, with COVID-19, that happened where churches had to adapt to having their church shut down. And even then, churches are having to adapt over and over to present the gospel and and to go out and reach out to the lost. It's continually changing and bringing up, raising up leaders and and putting new missions out. So we, we get through chapter 11 and then chapter 12 is the last chapter that we deal with Peter. And what happens is, you know, sometimes we go through difficulty and suffering. Uh, we read about in chapter 12, King Herod, he arrests James and Peter and he kills James, but he doesn't kill Peter. He plans on doing something later, but he doesn't. And people go, why? You know, this is so tragic. Why did they kill James? And, you know, some people think, oh, James just didn't have a purpose, you know. And it's like, no, you know, James, James was doing something for the church. You know. And, you know, people go, well, what are the reasons for suffering? And and there's different reasons, but it's not up to us to decide whether it's God discipline or whatever. You know, it's about just surrendering to God and instead of saying what or why, but okay, God, what do you want me to do? You know, how do you want to work through me? You know, some of the reasons could be, you know, our suffering can sweeten the victory to follow, you know, that... And, and when there's a great victory coming, there is going to be an attack of the enemy, especially when you are doing the work of God. You know, our suffering can be disciplined from the Lord. You know, it says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. You know, our suffering allows us to become a resource. You know, I've never struggled with alcoholism. But somebody who struggled without, used to struggle with alcoholism and had been delivered from the Lord can be a resource to helping somebody else. You know, God may use suffering to change our direction. You know, it may, you know, our trials may ch- cause us to change directions that we may have not chosen on our own. 
You know, we think of Stephen's death as an example of this. Because of that tragedy and the persecution that followed, the church got going in a whole new direction and they started reaching to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And you know what? We just may never know the reason for our suffering. We may never know. And we just have to trust that God's going to tell us one day, especially when we're heaven, we'll find out. So, but we see, you know, with Peter, this, this miraculous deliverance and it's such a wonderful story. I just love it when he's like free from prison and he goes and he's knocking on the believer's houses or on the believer's house and they, they thought it was a ghost. I just love that part because they're just like, oh, it's a ghost. No, <laughs> it's actually Peter. And so, but we see that there's divine judgment in the end for King Herod. You know, he does, his pride overtakes him and he ends up being eaten by worms. Some versions say maggots and he dies. So, which at the end of chapter 12 that um marks the end of our our time with peter you know focusing on his ministry and from this point forward it's focusing on paul's ministry so we're going to take a quick break and then go ahead and talk about uh 13 through 18. So, one of the things is, you know, Saul was a Jewish name, and then the rest of Acts calls him Paul. Paul is his Roman name. And so, and we see that that's usually known, and because he's going to, it's going to be part of, because he's going out into the Gentiles using his Roman name. And we get into chapter 13 and, you know, we see that, you know, Antioch, you know, this church starts to grow and we see that God is, is going to have Saul and, or Paul bring up or and Barnabas take on more responsibility. You know, they shared leadership, you know, there was, and we see in here that there's different leaders. They were sharing leadership and that's a huge part in the church is, is, you know, unity is characterized that it's not just the pastor and that's it. You know, the leadership is spread out. And um, so we see that. And then we get into chapter or verse two. We see that even though the church grew dramatic or dynamically, the the leaders did not become so wrapped up in ministry that they neglected worship and spiritual fellowship. We see that they're worshiping, they're fellowshipping with the Lord, they're taking time. That is something we need to do as a church. Then, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit comes and says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. So, Although we do not know more of Barnabas's call, we do know of Paul's. And so, you know, Paul was converted around AD 34 
and his first missionary journey began around AD 46 through 47. That was 12 years that had passed. Um, it is possible for a person to know God's will in their life, and yet a time, a period may pass between the knowledge and the fulfillment of God's will. You know, I, I have a friend that um, it had been prophesied when she was little that she was, God was going to use her in worship. And the enemy did try to, to steer her away. And then God, you know, she got married and they had a kid and she really started seeking the Lord. Started getting back into singing and playing guitar. And she became really good at worship. And she came back to Powell um, because her husband was deployed to overseas. And essentially God, you know, she was playing worship and then it was kind of just spoken that she was going to be on this worship team. And she had a time period of, of waiting and she started doing worship. But then all of a sudden they're moving to the East Coast. And she's like, wait a minute. And, you know, I remember sitting with her and she's like, I don't know why we're going here. But she do, you know, she kind of knew that they needed to go there. But she was just like, this is so hard. And she went but if she hadn't gone you know now God's using her in worship and giving her opportunities that she she wouldn't have have been able to use here and that's a huge thing so you know Barnabas and Paul are are set out to go there's prayer and fasting you know you know, and when we think of prayer and fasting, you know, sometimes the temptation of the church is to neglect prayer for conferences. But we need to focus on the Lord because he's going to direct us to his will and his plan, saving the lost. You know, the Antioch church prayed and the Lord gave them plans and they didn't reverse the order. And, and then commissioning Acts 13. 13.3, they commissioned, they laid their hands on them, and then sent them off. You know, and then they go to Cyprus, which is their, their first part of their, their first missionary journey. You know, and there's different things, you know, there's seven principles of missions that, you know, we can apply to our own ministries today. You know, it's a team effort. You know, it wasn't just... You know, Paul, it wasn't just his show. There was Paul, there was Barnabas, and then they bring a relative of, of Barnabas, which is Mark, or John Mark, which, you know, later we know as the author of the Gospel of Mark. You know, at, you know, there's a few brief periods, but Paul was always with one or more associates, including Luke. You know, the the... Even Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, he sent them in teams of two. And we see that the church is following the Lord's pattern and seeing missionary work as a team effort. You know, solo missionaries are too prone to discouragement if things are difficult. So, 
or they can become proud. So that's the first principle. Then they start with the familiar. They went to Cyprus. You know, this was Barnabas's home. You know, it was in a familiar place where, you know, and it teaches us an important thing that we have to be aware of, of culture shock. And so the Holy Spirit led Barnabas and Paul first to Cyprus, not to, to a culture totally alien to their own. So then the third is they start with a logical place. They go to the Jewish synagogue first. That was the logical place. And you'll see it over and over. Paul and them just go to the synagogue first. Then they, they kind of move on from there. They extended their reach. You know, they, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And, you know, they moved frequently, staying for a length of time only at key population centers. So their purpose was to establish churches rather than remain with them. So then another thing is to expect opposition. And I've taught this over and over. When you're doing God's work, expect opposition. We see they expect they came across opposition with Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, and but what ends up happening there is they're full of the Spirit. And, and these attacks against missionaries, they have to be met with believers who are filled with the Spirit. And we notice that Paul, you know, as he rebuked Elamis, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he let, he was used by the Holy Spirit to speak to Elamis. And we see that there's this miracle that happens. The final principle is when the gospel is faithfully preached in truth and power, people will believe on the Lord. So we see in verse 12 of 13, it says, When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And so that ended up going on. So, and then from there, they went to city in Antioch. And we read there that Mark ends up turning back. We don't know why. Mark left, but we're going to see his departure is going to bring a source of contention between Barnabas and, and Paul. But we get into chapter 13 and go through verses 14 through 43, and Paul preaches his first recorded sermon. And it kind of follows along with, with Peter's. And this um his first recorded sermon is, it can be divided into two parts. The first, which is 16 through 25, it traced the sovereign acts of God in Israel, Israel's history from the time Israel was chosen until Christ's coming. Um, you know, it's essentially a proclamation or announcement of God's saving activity and calling and sustaining his chosen people. 
And then his second, the second part is proclaiming Jesus's life, death, resurrection, fulfillment of scriptures, provision for forgiveness and sins, and a call for response. Is how we see that. And, you know, it's when he does that, we notice that, you know, that the Jews are like, oh, why don't you come back? Well, then they come back and there's all these people that show up and Paul encounters jealousy after that. And because of that, we we have to recognize that often the verbal arguments against the gospel are not always the real reasons the gospel is opposed. Luke notes that the real reason the Jews opposed Paul's message was spiritual sin. They saw the crowds and became jealous rather than valid theological grounds. You know, in response, you know, we see Paul begins preaching directly to the Gentiles outside the synagogue. And we see many Gentiles believe the good news of Jesus. Um, And then we get to the Galatian ministry. And, you know, what, what ends up happening there is essentially... He meets resistance. He meets resistance. And there's just some things that we can draw from that. You know, in verses, you know, Acts chapter 13, verses 50 through 14, 21, you know, just some of these that we can draw. There's six applications to not give up when you meet resistance. And, you know, we see that Paul doesn't give up. He continues on. Keep a good attitude. You know, in spite of the resistance and rejection, the mission, missionaries kept a positive attitude. And it says, you know, in verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Blame, complaint, and self-pity destroy Christian experience. Uh, be adaptable. They ended up adapting to the situation. And to be prepared for the worst battles after the victories you know when you come and I know as a as a youth group leader some of my biggest battles are after a victory a good night at youth group that's when the enemy wants to come and attack and so it's about being prepared putting on that armor and being prepared to fight when you need to fight and that's the next thing fight the good fight you know when he Paul was attacked and mistreated he did not give up you know, he, they left him to die. He was, you know, trying, they tried to kill him. He didn't give up. He kept going. He kept fighting the good fight. And then, you know, look at what God is accomplishing. You know, don't look at the failure. Look at what he's doing. And so we see that then, but we notice what ends up happening the first another conflict happens you know and and which results in the Jerusalem council the reasons for the Jerusalem council and that we read in here is the you know we see there's the conversions of priests and pharisees you know 
Um, because generally, you know, the priests and the Pharisees had the same beliefs that Jesus was preaching. And what happens is the members of the circumcision party, they came from Judea to Antioch and started pushing their views of circumcision on the Gentile believers, which caused a huge conflict. And so they go and do this Jerusalem council. And we see that there's six steps that, that happened that resolves church conflict. They clearly define the problem. You know, the problem was Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. They had a full and open discussion to the issue. You know, the apostles and elders met and had a full discussion of the issue. Listen to the experiences of godly people whose past walk with God gives them insight into the present situation. We see that with Peter, you know. And, and the conversion of Cornelius. Test experience with, with scriptures. You know, we see that with James. He recognized that the issue had indeed been addressed in scripture. And then they separated the major issues from the minor ones. You know. And the decision had been reached. Whom God receives, let the church not reject. And... You know, issues that could not be compromised included repentance and faith in Christ. Cultural issues that were a matter of tradition and preference included the Judeans, you know, the issues of circumcision and dietary laws. However, the Gentiles were asked to compromise too in the things that they could not, they had to you know, the restrictions was food offered to idols, things strangled, food with blood, abstained from sexual, sexual morality. Those were things they, they were asked to restrain from. And they clearly communicated the decision to everyone it will affect. They sent the letters out. So. And, and sent people to do that. And so that's a huge thing. So we have that, and then afterwards, Paul goes on his secondary mission, mission journey. But we notice here that the leading is a little bit different. You know, it's Paul who goes to Barnabas and says, you know, we should go back and visit the brethren in every city that we have preached the word of the Lord to see how, how, they, how they're doing. And it, it was a good thing. But we see that there's this contention, you know, there's this rocky start that happens because they, you know, Paul doesn't want Mark to go because he didn't like that Paul left or that Mark left in the middle of the journey. And so Mark and Barnabas leave, you know, they go their separate, you know, which, you know, it's, it's not that, you know, it was bad or anything. There were some good things to it. You know, he ended up choosing new companions, Silas. Silas's Roman citizenship is going to prove an important asset on the trip. You know, if Barnabas and Mark had been on the team, there might not have been room for Timothy that we meet. You know, under the sun of encouragement, Mark would recover from his earlier failure. And he would be a living example that God could use a person who failed at first. 
And then we also have Mark's gospel. And, you know, Paul later realizes that Mark was no longer a quitter and found himself useful. So, you know, and, and we kind of think that, you know, Paul doesn't know where he's going, but he's being led by the spirit. The spirit was using, you know, was, was checking him, but we know that Paul was sensitive and over and over, and there's just certain things that happen. But, you know, this, this missionary journey ends up kind of not going the way that you think it would go because, you know, he ends up having this vision of a man in Macedonia. They show up and they come across women. They don't come across men. And then in that time, they end up casting a demon out of slave girl and all of a sudden... They're severely flogged, thrown in prison, and it's not going the way that they thought it was going to go. And but we see in 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 this book that Paul and Silas, you know, in in the prison and what they call the midnight hour, is praising God. And through that, you know, the man in jail or the the jailer ends up him and his family end up being saved and because of that and we see you know over and over they go to Thessalonica and that's where the book of Thessalonians deals with um you know they just they continue on there's Berea and that's where we get Berean to study the scripture they kept going you know they they stirred the hearts in Thessalonica. They, you know, and then they they opened the eyes in Berea, and challenged the minds in Athens. Um, because in and which is you know Athens is an interesting one because. He sees that the, the he's sent there by himself to essentially rest, but he doesn't. And he ends up going, you know, and he's distressed by the idols. And he ends up going and he actually gets taken to the Areopagus, which is Gentile. I mean, it's, and they're throwing all these different ideas. And we see here, Paul adapts to sharing the gospel differently. He points out to the temple of the unknown God to to preach to them the gospel. He doesn't use one Bible verse here, but he addresses so many things, you know, in regards to agnosticism, Gnosticism, pantheism, atheism, hedonism, polytheism, deism, humanism, racism, determinism, idolatry, religio- religiosity, dualism, and universalism, just different, different things. He addresses them all in those sermons. And he's met with some mocking, but some people accept the the gospel. The final leg of the journey is in Corinth. And um, you know, in, in the Mediterranean world, Corinthians were regarded as either immoral or drunk. 
you know, and it's the final leg of the journey, but we'll, like, we have the book of First Corinthians and Second Corinthians that is so amazing. You know, he ends up meeting Priscilla and Aquilia. He gains assurance from God. He gets protected, you know, and, and that's just the, the huge part of that with chapter 18 and, and, and all of that. So that is essentially it that I wanted to point out. Um, one of the things he does do is that he did at first spend some time or go to Ephesus, but he didn't stay there. He said, I'll come back when God's, if God decides for me to come back. So that's a huge thing. So that is it for this podcast. So for the next podcast, we're just going to do Acts chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, and then we'll do the first 11 chapters of 23. So it's not as many as last time. So we'll see you next Friday. Thank mm-hmm. you.